The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, Later on the show, you will hear my interviews with, uh, first, California State Senator Dave Min who is also running for Congress, and a fashion designer and the founder of LA Fashion Week, powered by Art Minds, uh, Eric Rosette. The Blunt Post with Vic. Senator Dave Min, a Democrat, uh, was elected in 2020 to represent Orange County's 37th state Senate district, which includes the cities of Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach, Irvine, and Laguna Beach. Uh, the senator is also a candidate for California's 47th Congressional District, a seat currently held by Congresswoman Katie Porter. Good morning, Senator Min. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Vic. Uh, pleasure is all mine. Uh, I, um, I've i been reading up about you and, and uh, a lot of the, the bills and, and uh, a lot of the bills and, and things that you've been advocating for, they're very... I hate to use the word progressive because I think that just limits it. They're very, um, really aware and, and very inclusive of all kinds of people. Um, one of the things was, um, well, first of all, I was very impressed by what you said about the plight of the Armenian people, uh, Artsakh, what's happened in the last three years, um, sort of in this second Armenian genocide that we seem to be walking in right now. Yeah, I like to know where that came from because it was it caught me by surprise how aware you were. Uh, look, I, I will be the first to tell you I'm not that aware. I, you know, I, I have a number of Armenian American friends. Um, you know, I, I try to be informed, but I, I know I, I'm very aware of how little I'm aware and how little I know. Uh, but I think as a Korean American, you know, and I expressed this earlier this week to you in a call, um, I am mindful of the shared histories that our peoples have. Uh, Both of our cultures went through uh, attempted cultural genocides, Uh, you know, the Japanese occupation of Korea, uh, the Turkish genocide of the Armenian people that they've still never formally acknowledged. And, um, you know, we are very proud peoples. um, And and what has been happening, uh, you know, for the last few years in Artsakh, is um you know one of these i i i hate to use a, a cliche but it's it's like a canary in a coal mine because you know the, the world seemed you know to ignore it for a few years um and that seemed to then lead to increasing you know the, as the azerbaijani attacks on these ethnic armenians uh continued to scale up we started to see a lot more authoritarianism around the world um and, and similar types of attacks and you know, without sounding hyperbolic, like like we are right now in a one of those moments in in civilization, I I believe where. You know, we're talking about basic values that you and I have grown up taking for for granted: liberty, freedom, democracy. We've never had to grapple with what these mean, 
but they are under attack right now around the world. And uh, whether it's Artsakh, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's uh, the Hamas vicious attacks in Israel, and, and then the Israeli response uh, in, in flattening, quote unquote, uh, Gaza, we're, we're just seeing rising tensions and, and a rising willingness to, uh, I, I guess, uh, really rebel against the the global peace that I think has defined a lot of our lifetimes. Um, and so, again, uh, <laughs> I hate to say this, but uh, I stand strongly against genocide, against authoritarianism, and uh, against those who would eradicate others simply because they're different than them. And, and I only say that not facetiously, but because, unfortunately, I think that that needs to be said today. No, absolutely. You're right. I mean, it does sound cliche, but we do have to say it because there's no reason why genocides keep happening and they are happening. They're happening in Ethiopia as well right now. They're happening in Yemen. And we, we've got to like constantly repeat that. You, you touched on a few things as far as like sort of the current state of our world, which especially in the last week has seemed very bleak, very sort of, I feel like we've chartered a new territory with every conflict that's happening and some that are sort of Brewing. If you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. You are going to be listening to the rest of my interview with Senator Dave Min from Orange County. How do you, uh, what's your perspective on just the general feel of, of America? Let's just stay, uh, stay domestic, uh, of America and the politics and where we are and where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So a lot of people don't believe this about me, but I, um, I actually not so long ago, I thought I would never, ever in my life get into politics because uh, I had worked for Chuck Schumer. I'd worked for the Center for American Progress as a policy person, and I'd seen up close call time and, and what is involved in, in the politics side of, of governance. And I thought that was for the birds. I also thought I'd be terrible at it. I was selling I was terrible at selling magazines as a kid and. Uh, my very first paid gig in life was selling those Cutco knives. Um, my parents still have a, their set. It's a very good set of knives. Uh, the other set I sold was to their good friends and uh, was terrible at selling knives, terrible at selling magazines. I didn't do debate club or model UN. Um, just never thought I wanted to do that. But after Donald Trump got elected, um, felt the need to stand up. And, you know, me, I, I, you know, I've had to now like, you know, psychoanalyze myself as, a, as an elected official, as a politician, you have to really understand your motivations. And I think a lot of this for me comes down to like my childhood, you know, uh, probably true for all of us. But, you know, I grew up as a Korean American in a time and place in California when we didn't have any other Korean Americans in my community, uh, where there were only a handful of Asian Americans in my class. Um, and, and so when people talk about marginalized communities and, and you know, I, I feel that because I felt marginalized throughout my childhood uh, until I became an adult. I was the second smallest kid in my class. I, I'm very cognizant of what it feels like to be the other, to feel like you're being picked on and bullied because you're different. And I, I think because of those life experiences, I, I've always wanted to stand up and recognize that and, and call it out because uh, I don't think that has a place in our society. But uh, right now, I think that is is what Donald Trump and his allies stand for, is basically institutionalized bullying and marginalization at the highest levels. <clears throat> and when they first got into office, what did Donald Trump do? He went after Muslims, undocumented immigrants, and, and LGBT people. 
you know, we've seen this playbook play out before. Uh, so we are in a fraught time and, and we need people to step up. We need people to call this out uh, and recognize that this is not about one election anymore. Uh, it's about every election for the foreseeable future, uh, winning power, holding accountable those who want to break the rule of law uh, and fighting for our values at the end of the day, because they want to take it away from people who look like you and me. Yeah, no, absolutely. This isn't just about one election. So every election we say, this, this is the most important one for people to get out. And yet two years later or four years later, uh, we're in the same place. And now next year, we're going to be faced with having to defend the House, the Senate, and of course, the White House. You, uh, I know you can't talk about it, but you're also running for Congress uh, since uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter is running for Senate, it would be for her district. I was going through all the endorsements you've received. I couldn't finish them. There's so many. <laughs> it was just a massive list. Organizations and individuals, elected officials, um, advocacy organizations. It was it was fantastic. Uh, Orange County Labor Federation was one of them. And of course, uh, one of the most important ones, I think, is uh, Congresswoman uh, Katie Porter has endorsed you, someone I've interviewed twice uh, on my show. If you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. Uh, you are going to be listening to the rest of my interview with Senator Dave Min from Orange County. But going back to what I was saying that I was, I was sort of looking at things that you've worked on and keep working on and seeing things that others want, you know, tackle necessarily one of them was the the street harassment bill mm -hmm. uh, will you tell us a little bit about that yeah no uh thank you so th this was a two-part bill uh we passed the first tranche out uh last year uh and it was originally designed to be just one bill and, and the idea was to try to document and under better understand and then act on uh the increasing harassment and violence that people are experiencing in our public transit and for me, as, as one of just a handful of Asian-American legislators in the California legislature, um, this is an important issue. I, I didn't run as an Asian-American. I didn't run as a Korean-American. But because there's so few of us, because we don't really have a lot of representation, I've, I've had to, like all the other members of the API Legislative Caucus, take on that mantle, not just for Korean-Americans, but for the wide diaspora of, of people that trace their roots to Asia uh, who live in this country. Um, and so this is definitely a, an issue that Asian Americans, particularly East Asian Americans, have faced in, in the years uh, since COVID began, uh, in part because of, you know, the China virus and, and the, the aspersions against Chinese people. And let's be honest, no one, I'm Korean, no one out there, most people out there can, would not be able to recognize the difference between Chinese, Vietnamese, uh, most East Asians and Southeast Asians and Chinese people. So we've all received some level of harassment and vitriol. Uh, since since uh, the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, but this has also been an issue that we know affects a lot of marginalized communities uh, in public spaces. Uh, women, L members of the LGBTQ plus community, many different types of minorities, L the elderly. And, and so this is, this is something that, that I feel is very, very important. Uh, I, I feel like you have a basic right to be able to go out in public, to, to ride public transit, for example, and not feel like that might lead to some sort of violence or or very uncomfortable, intimidating encounter. And and we know that right now public transit is a space where many people feel unsafe. We we have the studies 
suggesting that that one of the major reasons why public transit is suffering so much right now from decreased ridership is fears of public safety. Uh, so we wanted to create a survey, have them administer the survey, the 10 largest transit agencies in California, and, and then to implement uh, solutions designed to address those in a non-incarceral first approach. Uh, unfortunately, uh, because of budgetary concerns, we had to break this up into a couple tranches. So the first bill we passed last year authorized the creation of a survey by the Mineta Institute for Transportation at San Jose State University. Uh, and so that is a transit-oriented, uh, essentially, think tank or public policy center. They created the survey. So this year, what we did is to find, uh, to, to authorize and require the 10 largest transit agencies to actually administer the survey. Uh, once those results are, and that costs a little bit of money, but it's something that is manageable. Uh, what we're hoping is once we get that data in, we can go into tranche three, which would be thinking about what solutions might make sense to try to address this. How how do we meaningfully and substantially improve both the perceptions of safety and, and the substantial aspects of, of rider safety so that you know someone who does feel marginalized feels safe in, in public transit and hopefully we can move that beyond public transit to, to public spaces more broadly. No, you're absolutely right. And it's and the, the keeping transport safe, it, it has to be part of the larger conversation uh, about the unhoused and what we're doing and also about uh, traffic and pollution and environment issues, yeah, especially in Southern California. If that's not addressed, you know, you can have all the, you know, PR campaigns trying to get people to take public transport and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I was going to make another uh, point. It's surprising because usually when the economy is bad and, you know, we're going through a recession or close to is when you see this kind of fear and uh, prejudice and things like that. And yet we've had a you know relatively good economy for many years now. And yet we've also seen, of course, COVID was a big uh, part of this uh, surge in, in sort of hatred and, and paranoia and propaganda that, that really filled people's psyche and fueled so much of anti-Asian uh, hate and for other people too. And I just don't know how it's going to be once we do go into a recession because it's cyclical and it's meant, you know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. If you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. You are going to be listening to the rest of my interview with Senator Dave Min from Orange County. And a reminder that we are in Fund Drive, which means we're coming to you to ask you to support us, support the station so we can stay on the air and bring you this type of programming that you appreciate. Please go to kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735 to make a donation. Uh, again, kpfk.org or 818-985-5735. Thank you. One more uh, question I'll ask that might be complicated, but I was really um, intrigued to read that one of the things that you've worked on uh, is to make coercion as a form of domestic violence. Would you expect that? Yeah, um, so... I have to give kudos to my wife here, who is my better half for anyone who knows us, and it's not close. Um, my wife, Jane Stover, is a law professor at UC Irvine. I, I was actually a law professor at UC Irvine before coming to the state Senate. Uh, I taught and researched in the area of business law with a focus on banking and uh, and corporate governance. My wife, Jane, 
is uh, singularly focused on family safety, domestic violence issues, runs the domestic violence clinic at the law school, uh, heads up and, and started an interdisciplinary center at UC Irvine that's become one of its flagship centers uh, for policy, and it's the initiative to end family violence. Uh, she is um, a remarkable person who is a thought leader in this space in domestic violence. And, and because of her, we've now passed, uh, I think the governor's now signed eight plus bills of our mine that, that really are my wife's uh, that uh, are bills related to domestic violence. So the one you're referring to makes reproductive coercion a form of domestic violence. And so uh, there's a misconception that a lot of us have. And I had this until I really started like talking to my wife about her research early on in our relationship. Uh, but we kind of think of DV as, you know, hey, uh, an abuser, typically a man, uh, being violent and, and hurting and their, their significant other, typically a woman. Uh, but in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. And, and what, what a lot of folks have come to recognize is, is often the threat of violence, not just violence itself, uh, that is the key to domestic abusive relationships. Uh, who controls, who has the power, who, who has the threat and coercion. And so I want to give props to my, my colleague, uh, Senator Susan Rubio, herself a survivor of domestic violence, uh, who before I even came into the Senate was able to pass legislation recognizing coercive control as a form of domestic violence. What we have done is build on that um, and to say, look, reproductive coercion, which is uh, the threat or action of uh, interfering with your significant other or intimate partner's reproductive outcomes, uh, whether that's forcing them to get pregnant, whether that's forcing them to get an abortion and tampering with their birth control, uh, you know, pulling out your condom. And, you know, th there's a whole bunch of ways in which this manifests, but, but it's increasingly becoming recognized as another key signal that there's an abusive relationship. It makes so much sense. As I was listening to you explain it, it's like, wow like light bulb just went off. So kudos to you and your wife for for this. Senator Min, I don't want to uh, hold you any more than I have. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add or a question I must have or I might have missed? I, I just uh, appreciate, you know, you and your audience and, and would just say, I, I think, you know, we have a big task ahead of us, you know, taking a step back from the, the bills. Look, I, I, I'd like to say that I've been a, a leader on gun violence prevention. I could talk about the bills we've done there on climate, which I think is is just the defining issue that we have to you know, take on in our, our civilization in our lifetimes right now. We have so many issues that we're facing, but at the end of the day, we want to step back and ask what this is all about. And, and for me, it's my kids. Uh, and I always ask people, okay, think about someone you love that's going to be around in 20 years or 40 years or 60 years. That is a big part of what we're fighting for right now is the future of our country, the future of our civilization. Uh, and so, you know, as someone who uh, took on this fight, who didn't think I'd be in politics, you know, the reason I do this is because we have a huge task ahead of us. We are fighting against a group of people that don't believe in democracy, don't believe in diversity or immigration or inclusion. They don't believe in our core values. But we also have these generational challenges. America's economic opportunity is disappearing for young people. We have to turn that around. Uh, we have to find thoughtful, smart economic policies that will deliver. Uh, we have to address climate change uh, and rescue this planet from the crisis we're facing right now. Uh, we have to address the, the issues of gun violence that we're facing. 
we have to do all this knowing that there is a fifth column of people right now that are willing to try to revolt in armed insurrection against our government. And we have to do this knowing that there's also an apathetic part of this country that really just cares about which party, which uh, group of electeds might improve their wallet. You know, and, and so we have to do all that. We have to keep winning elections. We have to fight, fight, fight. So let's not lose sight of the task in front of us and the importance of the stakes. Uh, but yes, part of this is good government. Part of this is showing people that, hey, government, a democratic government can work to solve your problems. We don't need to resort to strongmen, uh, that, that we can be effective in, in getting out there, in, in talking to our constituents, in dealing with the potholes in the road, and also the democratic revolution <laughs> the revolutions against our democracy. We, we've got to walk and chew gum and do and juggle and do a whole bunch of things all at the same time. Uh, but but I believe we can do it. I, you know, and, and I just have optimism because I know because uh, I've talked in you know, the last few years of my political career, uh, I have met tens of thousands of people. And I can tell you right now, most people are so, so good. Uh, and it's it's that goodness that I think defines us. And And as long as we are united, as long as we are willing to step up and speak up, you know, for our values, our shared humanity, uh, I believe we will uh, be victorious at the end of the day. But again, the stakes are so high. But sorry for the rant and the stuff speech. Thank you very oh, much a, for having me. Inspiring. Uh, thanks for being on the show, uh, Senator Min. Good luck to you. I don't think you need it, but good luck for your congressional run. Thank you for all the wisdom and everything that you're doing. And I hope to chat with you again soon. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Vic. Appreciate it. Nice to see you. Senator Min, thank you for uh, your time. Uh, it was great chatting with you. Good luck to you. And I hope to uh, speak with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. Eric Rosette, a Los Angeles native, is the founder of LA Fashion Week, powered by Art Hearts Fashion, uh, which was just this past weekend, and it's celebrated its 10th anniversary. Good morning, Art. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. You just had your LA Fashion Week, which was the 10th anniversary, correct? Yeah, yeah. We're doing all the, the cleanup and the post-production stuff. So we have a lot of photos. We got thousands of images and runway footage to go through and edit. So it was an amazing week. We had over 30 designers and it was just such a great and strong event for us. You know, uh, we're really happy with the, the outcome. That's fantastic. Um, congratulations. I've been to LA Fashion Week, uh, powered by Art Hearts uh, before, and I um, I enjoyed this year as well. But I want to go back to take the, the, the lens backwards a little bit and just talk about uh, LA Fashion. You are an Angelino. You were born and raised in LA, correct? Yep. Born in Burbank, raised here all my life, went to school here. So tell me, for those of us that are sort of not in the industry, what is the state of fashion in Los Angeles in 2023? Yeah, well, right now, the, the big trend with fashion is, of course, inclusion, which has been going on for a while now. And most importantly, that's coming strong is upcycling and sustainability in the fashion industry because so much fast fashion is coming around and it's really changing the landscape to, you know, basically let us not, you know, utilize clothing the way we used to where we would actually cherish it and, you know, use it for special occasions. Now with fast fashion, people are just, you know, throwing it away. So we actually had some designers that upcycled um, and, and utilized, you know, garments and created them. And it's really about sustainability, um, and, and that's one of those things. Sustainability and inclusion, I think, are really at the forefront of this year and moving forward. But is that unique to L.A. only? 
No, I mean, look, at the, the end of the day, L.A. dictates a lot of what happens in the world because we are where Hollywood is. We are where the stylists are. So the, the message and the impact comes very strong here. Um, but I would say that, you know, a lot of a lot of it started in New York um, with the way that fashion used to be, where the norm was a double size zero and, you know, promoting unhealthy lifestyles for the fashion industry. I think that, you know, it's changed a lot. And L.A.'s leading at the forefront just because with so many celebrity designers that we showcased and that we worked with for the last 10 years, their voices are very loud. So, you know, we're constantly on the news. We're constantly being featured in Forbes and Ellen Vogue. And so, um, you know, again, they're utilizing their voices to tell stronger stories. And with the upcycling, the LGBT community, the um, sustainability, supporting minorities, you know, it's it's all about um, helping the, the underdog and, you know, retraining and reprogramming ourselves to be more responsible in the way that we think. It makes sense. I mean, that's that's a reflection on our society. Uh, art imitates life, life imitates art. Uh, once again, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. Uh, I'm your host, Vic Jarami. We are in Fun Drive, so we appreciate your, uh, your support, your donations at kpfk.org. And you are listening to my interview with Eric Rosette, the founder of LA Fashion Week, powered by Art Hearts Fashion. So for those who, who say, or who might say, uh, you know, when it comes to capitals of fashion, they're Paris, Milan, New York, London, etc. Where does LA stand? What would you say to that? You know, LA has always been more in the shadows when it comes to Fashion Week as a platform or as a, as a organized week of events. And so, you know, in the past, different companies have tried to make successful runs at bringing it to LA, but it's just the Fashion Week formula involves going to different shows and bouncing around. And LA doesn't really lend to that ability to be mobile, to be able to bounce around everywhere. So it was always very difficult for fashion platforms to take off. Um, and now what's happening is a lot of the big brands like Ralph Lauren, Gucci, Chanel, um, they're having private shows here in Los Angeles because they do see the, the need and the desire to showcase here because they know that all the celebrities and the stylists and the industry truly is in LA. And so when they come, these big brands are coming and doing shows at the Griffith Observatory, they're renting out airports, they're doing really cool avant-garde one-off shows. So again, you know, I'm really excited that we've been doing this for 10 years and we've been doing it strong by combining art, fashion, culture, and making it an experience, much more so than a traditional fashion week where you go to one 10-minute show and then you leave if you're not invited to the next show. For us, we invite guests for the entire evening and we make it an experience because in L.A., you're not leaving your house for a 10 minute show. Absolutely. And it is like that. I mean, you just as you were explaining uh, your your show, your events, it, it sort of dawned on me that that's that's definitely what it is. I mean, you go in for you know hours of of presentation and, and spectacle, if you will. You are you just celebrated 10 years. What do you think is the 
a formula or the secret, not secret, but formula to your success? Well, as a designer myself and an artist, I think that the, the strongest drive is, you know, the three elements that make up our pl our platform and our production company are art, hearts, and fashion. And it's really been the hearts that have driven our success because it's been the community. It's been driven by designers, by minorities, by the LGBT community, by people with disabilities, by people that have really have a lot of passion for explaining their stories. And with so many storytellers under one roof, everyone's bound to be um, you know, excited and connected with at least parts of what's being told because we have people from all over the world that are telling their stories on our runway. And so I'm really blessed to have you know, that. What were some of the highlights of, of this year's um, LA Fashion Week? Well, the highlights of this year's LA Fashion Week was, you know, really opening strong with uh, Rich Arette, which is Richie Rich's brand, which is a famous designer in the LGBT community that had a brand called Heatherette. We brought together all of the all-stars for Project Runway. So Michael Costello, Mondo Guerra, Natalia um, Fedner, and, and Kentaro Kamayama. Uh, these are all winners, and these are all the people that are the all-stars of, um, of Project Runway. And so... Again, being able to incorporate those different elements, and you know, we have a ton of Latino designers that we're that we're supporting. And so, for me, um, all of those highlights have been being able to work with so many so many talents, you know, and artists from all scopes and walks of life. Yeah, that's fantastic. I did, I did, uh, um, I did see that there was an homage paying being paid to Latino designers this year, which is so apropos being in LA. Yeah. The the most of my core team, myself included, are Latinos. So we had a you know, we had we had to represent. Yeah, absolutely. What's coming up? What are people are gonna see in 2024 in terms of fashion, uh specifically in LA, do you think? Yeah, well, you know, again, right now LA is on the forefront of sustainability and uh, of, of cycling. I I think you're gonna start seeing Getting creative with their outfits. They're going to be bringing things out of the closet that they haven't in the past. They're going to be repurposing things, restyling things. I think, you know, especially with the economy going, you know, down and in the direction that it's going, people are going to start to value their clothing more and they're going to start to, again, you know, utilize it. I think that's a really strong trend that's happening right now. Several of our brands do that where they're doing the one of a kind pieces based off of cutting up old pieces and creating their own art. And I mean, again, it's a lot of fun, too. It's not just about saving money. It's about being creative and expressing yourself. You don't have to be a designer to be able to repurpose your clothing and style it right and make yourself feel and look good. You know, everyone has a little bit of a designer in them. And I think it'd be, it'd be a fun way for them to express themselves. Uh, once again, this is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. And you are listening to my interview with Eric Rosette, the founder of LA Fashion Week, powered by Art Hearts Fashion. You're a designer, and and uh, I think 2019, when I was there last, I saw your show. You you actually had uh, you showed your own collection too. Yeah. Where can people buy your collection? Well, the the funny thing is, is that you know I'm so committed to the event and the platform that I make my pieces as one of a kind runway pieces, and then they get styled on on the runway. So for me, if if I like someone, I'll let them wear it, and if I love someone, I'll let them keep it. Um, I do have merch, underwear, T-shirts, things like that, that people can buy from MrTripleX.com, spelt out. 
Um, so M-I-S-T-E-R-T-R-I-P-L-E-X.com. And they can get underwear and some light merch there. But for the most part, if they want to see my clothing and my brand, they have to come to the shows. And give us your website again. Not Mr. Triple X, but for Art Hearts. Yeah. So we, we actually have several websites that make it really easy. LAFashionWeek.com is ours. LosAngelesFashionWeek.com is ours. And if you want to learn more about our production, it's Art Hearts Fashion. So A-R-T-H-E-A-R-T-S Fashion.com. Um, people do get it confused and do Arts Hearts. But again, it's easy to find if they Google it as well. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a tongue twister sometimes. But yeah, ArtHeartsFashion.com. Uh, to learn more about all of the cities that we're doing shows in. We do Los Angeles, New York, Miami. And in 2024, we'll be adding Las Vegas um, and adding more international cities beyond that point. So really excited about the growth and about the future. Wow. Yeah, I did read about Vegas. Congrats on that. Art, is there a question that I should have asked that I missed or anything you want to add? Again, I, th I think that the more people that get to learn about our production, the better. Um, and, you know, again, that the designers and everyone that we have on board are from all over the world and very strong in the LGBT community. Uh, I would love for everyone to check them all out and follow their stories. Fantastic. Thank you, Art. I'd say good luck, but I, I don't think you need it. Uh, I know you're... <laughs> After this, since you've already done LA, you're going to Miami and beyond. Uh, yep. And uh, I hope to chat with you again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Eric, for the interview. Uh, congratulations on another uh, successful show. I know that you have uh, many more coming up in different cities. Uh, so good luck and thank you. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. -E Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.